Salutations, listeners. Sivalas Valeo. Valamagulis. Nanu Nanu. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men in a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Alpier. Action Jackson. In this podcast, we review movies and we deliver to you, the listener, an average smuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In this podcast, we try and target movies that are not total blockbuster smashes. We also look for ones that aren't so ruddy obscure that you couldn't, even with your metal detector sweeping across an open field, turn up a copy. We like to review these and then deliver to you our opinion about whether or not it's worth busting out your old marionette and reenacting these titans of the cinematic world, the unsung heroes. Nobody's singing about these heroes. Yes. No, nobody is tossing a coin to these heroes. I mean, no. When was the last time somebody talked about this movie? They haven't. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we're here for you. <laughs> Mark, Mark should really be our marketing department. Our marketing oh, department. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Oh. I like that. Yeah, you think that, you know, that that's like punny, but where do you think they got the word? Oh. That's true. Where that's you? true. That word didn't exist before yeah. 1988. Let me ask you this. Have you heard the term marketing? I'm talking to the people specifically in this room before 1988. I, I, I have born. not. I did not hear it before Being that I was born after 1988, no, I did not. That's proof. Chicken in the I egg. mean, ag- agreed. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm in the same boat, but I also, I, I cannot say I heard it before 1988. Yeah, so you are forced to agree. I, I also think they called them before that really good buy this producty people. That. You know what? I, I, yeah. I'm pretty Instead sure of marketers. Yeah, I, I think that was in my textbook in the, high school. The please, please department. The, the please, please. They were they were really desperate. It was it, it was hard times for those selling products. Thank God I came around. <laughs> yeah, capitalism changed forever. <laughs> With a capital M. <laughs> Wait, what? Mm. Oh, Mark, 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 Mark oh, yes, yeah. okay. okay. We're I, talking I, about me now, everybody. Yes, I am a... <laughs> you I, thought capitalism I, with, a, with a capital M. Yeah, capitalism <laughs> with a capital M. I'm like, I'm like okay, right. sketching out capitalism <laughs> on my paper here. So that's capitalism. <laughs> you know what? I think there's a reason they went with a C. Yeah. Yes. Uh, just uh, sounds better. You really adjusted capitalism there. <laughs> I, just doing my part. <laughs> just sounds like a new word for geography. Yeah. So we're recording. That means we probably watched a movie. It, it does. It, it also means that... Um, we watched a movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still on capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to tee you up there, but I feel like I feel like the dissection of global politics and specifically like economic theory. Like if you if you examine it through like a global context, it's capitalism. It should be capitalism, right? Yeah. Like I'm not crazy there. It's a geographic fact. It's you know what. Many aspects of the political sphere do play fast and loose with what a fact is, so I'm sure that could be, we could call that a fact. You look a lot like Charlie Day right now with the crazy well, eyes. And you, the... you listen here, guys! Let <laughs> <laughs> me tell you about capitalism. Well, you, you see, facts happen over here, and facts happen over there, and uh, a map is how you find out what's over here and uh, what's over there. That's true. Even if what's over here is a Morton's toe... And what's over there is a ch- Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. <clears throat> right, so, so we watched, circling back. We watched uh, a funny one this week. We, uh, I laughed a few Actually, times. it was funnier than I expected it, it to be. Yeah, I would agree. It was, uh, it was definitely funnier than I was expecting. Okay, so we've beaten around this bush quite a bit. Uh, 
episode 19. Mm. Uh, we can legally drink in Canada. Yay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yay. <laughs> that, was, that was the most unenthusiastic yay I think I've ever heard. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to Canada yay. right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're that one guy in the stands with a pennant. <laughs> no, no, there are listeners in Canada. I've, I've seen it. It's true. He synced it. We had a we had an Ottawaan. Wow, wow! So we watched the movie Jacob the Liar. True Holy story. Shit. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so let me preface this by saying that in this podcast we embrace levity and we try our best to like inject jokes wherever possible. We are most certainly not making fun of this movie or like its contents because it's a pretty serious flick. But actually, like, even that being said, this movie, it was pretty funny. Well, half the cast is, like, famous comedians. Yeah, that's true. So, it just goes to bear that, yeah, it's going to be a little bit funny. Maybe in some uncomfortable ways. Yeah. But it was definitely funny. Yeah, it was an exercise in contrast, this movie. I think that that was very intentional. I think that in order to, to, you know, have an adequate valley, you need a peak. And I think that, uh, we can't spoil it at this point, but... Man, the cast and the subject matter could not be more, I don't know, like, diverse. Maybe yeah, totally. No, no, no. It's a, it a good mix, for sure. And people with range. Mm-hmm. Everybody had range. So this is a 1999 movie, rated PG-13. Yeah, I think PG-13, there's nothing, like, super explicit in it. But, like, the content matter is heavy, so just, like, keep that in mind. Two hours on the nose, it says here on IMDb. So, yeah. I feel like it felt even shorter than that. I felt like it it, yeah. it went along at a clip. Yeah. Yeah, it did. IMDb has this as drama war. Um, Those are both correct. Honestly, drama is more correct than war. Yeah. War is a little weird. It's, it's, it's set in World War II. So, I was going to say, war was a place setting. Yeah. Is, it, is, I don't think war is appropriate. War is, is like fury or, you know. Black Hawk Down. Yeah, Band of Brothers. There like, was no battle. No, 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 it no. was not war. It was is something period, that happened during war. Would you say that period piece is a genre? I definitely would, yeah. Because it is just like a, a slice out of history that took place during a war. Yeah. But it, hmm. I also, like, I don't know if I would put comedy as, like, a, no. a genre. It's it's not a comedy. It's not anywhere. No. It's really not even anywhere near a comedy. But, like... The subject matter would lead you to believe that this movie is more... Like melancholy. Or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it would suggest that it's more like a Schindler's List. Yeah. So so let's, let's read this IMDb description real quick, and then we'll jump back to the genres to dissect it. During World War II, an ordinary inhabitant of a ghetto fakes news about allied offenses to inspire hope for other victims of the Nazi regime. That's... That, that's pretty tight. Dead on. Yeah. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. That's that's Jacob the Liar. Um, you can imagine that Jacob is this gentleman who's spreading said news. Drama, war. I feel like something is missing there, and I can't put my finger on what it is. I don't know what else I would substitute for that. Because I I agree there were there was definitely moments of, of humor and, and levity, you know, sometimes very much so. But I, I think that it was meant to highlight the seriousness by offering, like, a really in-your-face contrast. What about, like, historical fiction? Would we put that? Yeah. At that? Yes. Would that be appropriate? Yes. It uses real real events and then weaves a narrative into those. Yeah, that's yeah. that's 
drama, historical fiction. Okay, so we got to jump into who's in this movie. Number one, we're off the diving board with Robin Williams, my main man. Mm-hmm. I, I we don't we probably don't even know, need to tell you where Robin Williams is from, but like a few choice. I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire, Aladdin, uh, Aladdin, Patch Adams, Hook, Good Morning Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Like fucking Awakenings. Awakenings. How did I not say Awakenings? We just yeah. fucking reviewed Awakenings. Uh, the robot movie, um, Bicentennial Man. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Robin Williams had one of the most incredible film careers I think of any oh, actor ever. I mean, just absolutely. The dude had such range. I miss him more than certain dead relatives. And you can. <laughs> Wow, I was putting a fine point on it. (laughs) Wow, I hope Uh, they're not listening. If if... (laughs) even. That's weird. All right, let's get, it, let's get out the. the I'm Ouija. gonna grab the Ouija. Board you grab the Ouija board, and we're we're gonna we're gonna have a seance. So we had a bunch of other like big name actors that played kind of uh, not not B part, but certainly not supporting, supporting roles. Su- supporting, you know. Alan Arkin, man, motherfucker, huge name. Oh man, every scene that he was in, he commanded, but he didn't take the spotlight in a way that that seemed jealous like it was like he was you could tell that he was very important in the community because of the, just the way he was talking the way people were responding to him ah it's great alan arkin is amazing he really he is. he is a national treasure and you know if it were between saving alan arkin and like an immediate family member i would choose the family member but i would think about it mm-hmm. yeah you know there'd be that split second of like should I rob the American people, the world, really, of this man's talents? Mm-hmm. He's that good. Alan Arkin, you're very welcome on this show anytime you would like. I know we have like a pretty broad listener base, and our, our mm-hmm. dance card is filling up fast, but we will make room for you. Well, we were we were going to have uh, Will Smith on, but uh, he backed out, so I think there's space for, for you, Alan. That's yes, he, he, he backed out, I think, to do Independence Day 3. Yes. Is that what that was? That's it. Okay. I'm still miffed at him for passing on Independence Day 2. Yeah. I'm just, come on, Will saving Smith. It, saving it for, for Independence Week. Indep- <laughs> Independence Week. <laughs> We've changed it. we changed it to a week. <laughs> you missed that movie. The day just wasn't long enough. <laughs> who else was in this? We got Michael Jeter, who... This motherfucker was in, like... Every movie in the 80s and 90s, so just pick, just, like, make a list, throw a dart at the board of movies from the 80s and 90s in this motherfucker. He was in also it. in, like, every episode of Sesame Street. Yes. Like, a surprising amount. Anyway, yeah. You, you'd probably know him mostly from the Green Mile. Yeah. He's got uh, that face. You just, you, re- you recognize his face. Yeah, mm-hmm. he played Edward in the Green Mile. He was also in uh, Jurassic Park 3. He, he got eaten pretty yeah. bad. Most did. <laughs> most did yeah i mean the the dude is just in a bunch of movies you definitely recognize his face who else we got in this um bob balaban uh was one of them not a huge name but one that you would recognize if you saw so another big name in this like big big is Liev schreiber okay that motherfucker awesome just awesome i mean you'll know him from sphere x-men he- X-Men, yeah. He played Sabretooth. Uh, Sabretooth in the first two, Yep, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Goon. Oh, he wasn't oh, Sabretooth was... in the first two X-Men. Yeah. No. 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 no, you're right. No, no, no. no. You're thinking X-Men, like, Origins? Yes. Yeah. He was Origins, or and was it, the, was it the third one? It was X-Men Wolverine. 
and X-Men was like first class or whatever the one with kevin bacon you're right it was it was later yeah you're totally right but i what's hilarious is like leah schreiber is in the movie defiance which is also on our list to review which is a fucking amazing movie sorry I, i spoiled my opinion about that movie but what's crazy is he plays a polish jew during world war ii who's like basically like living in and helping to maintain a Jewish resistance in mm. the Polish forest which is a tr- it's a true story like they actually did this and it's just hilarious that he's in this movie playing a Polish Jew Mm-hmm. You know, basically, I mean, he kind of plays the same character almost. Right. You know? In both of them, he's sort of like your, not muscle-bound type, but, like, he's definitely the stronger, more, like... Oafish. Yeah, oafish is maybe the, the term. Like, very, very hard-headed, very strong-willed, not, like, the most intelligent person in the entire world. But he, he's that guy that doesn't mind wearing a hat with flaps. You know? Yeah, I guess that. that for most of them. Okay, as a person who wears a hat with flaps oh, wow. every day, no, <laughs> I don't I know what you're saying. I didn't mean any offense. Yeah, but shots fired, friend. I'm just saying I'm not wearing that hat. Okay, and, it, you know, read into that, if you will. I want to figure out what that fucking means. <laughs> <laughs> not well, afraid to I, wear a hat with flaps. Nope. I, you <laughs> know what that makes me think of? That makes me think of that scene in Firefly where... <laughs> Where Alan Tudyk says, man walks down the street wearing a hat like that, you know he loves his mother. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, I'm it's... just saying watch your back, Mark, because oh. you're going to hear a floorboard creak behind you one day, and it's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, okay, back to the... Okay, going back to the flaps here. When you walk around, apparently, Colin, with your flap hat, are you flapping it as you're walking? Because th- there was a lot of there's a lot of flapping to the flaps of this hat flap flap hat. <laughs> it is it's definitely like I will say an active choice of whether or not I want a flap hat. Yeah. Because like well, you don't walk into that blind. <laughs> no, you got to you got to choose whether to flap or if you just like rock the 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 straight down sides for the flap hat. Mm. I feel like flap hat is right up there with tapping an Uber. Oh, that's gross. That's really gross. I'm I'm going to be honest. Your prospects increase if you flap hat to tap an Uber. I don't know what that means. I honestly don't know what that means either. But we'll check with our capitalism experts and see if they can point us in the right direction. I believe that you're looking for flapitalism experts at this point. Oh. Well, flapitalism is is a a subcategory of 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 capitalism. Like, that's... It, it really grew out of it. The, the theory and the idea grew out of it in the late 1960s. I believe that. That school of thought. I believe that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, do we recommend this movie? <laughs> I definitely recommend this movie. I, 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 I have the same problem that Mark had last week, where I found it very hard to be critical because I just found myself very engrossed in the movie. I was very affixed to the screen just because it was mesmerizing really yeah i would definitely recommend it i would also recommend this movie okay so one thing we should point out is that this is the first movie we've ever done on the podcast that nobody has seen triple cherry pop Pop, pop, pop. (laughs) yes yeah yes it was Yeah, so, I mean, we all kind of got blindsided by this movie. Yeah. I mean, we all sort of knew what it was about. We knew kind of what to expect from, like, an emotional standpoint. And it was emotional. But, yeah, no, I'm totally, totally recommend this movie. Yeah, me too. I, I could I could definitely recommend it. 
just I think it was, it was just a really well made movie. Yeah. You know the the way that the the drama bounced off the levity. It was heavy and it was also light hearted. Yeah, I, I could wholeheartedly recommend. Now I suppose the only caveat it is dealing with World War Two. It is dealing with you know concentration the, camps the concentration and the ghetto camps. and yeah uh, it's that is heavy subject matter so it's it's not going to be for everybody and i think that this could have easily been rated r you know um you're kind of flipping a coin just because of the subject matter man no i i heavily recommend it yeah i don't think it is rated r but it could have been if they'd yeah. stepped it up just like a handful of elements the <clears> side <throat> of that is if they'd given it an r rating they could have gone way farther than they did oh yeah totally i i would like you did i'd put a disclaimer on this movie and be like i totally recommend it but maybe don't like pop it in if you're trying to have like a chill friday night with a bowl of popcorn you know like it's mm-hmm. it's like a I recommend it in the same way that I recommend Schindler's List. Yeah. And I recommend Requiem for a Dream, you know, American History X. Like, these are these are heavy fucking movies. Proceed with caution. But I think you'll be pleasantly surprised once yeah. you go through. Yeah, again, the, the levity in this, though, it jumps out at me in a way that, like, Requiem, you know, and Schindler didn't have. You That's know, true. I, Those are strictly fucking heavy. It, this definitely bounces back and forth. It toggles. Yeah, which I think, it, I mean, it's really... Because of that contrast, it feels heavier, but at the same time, it feels more um, approachable. You definitely are going to laugh and, and have a good time. And well, the movie makes that okay. I yeah. like that. It's like it's not it's not taboo to laugh. Yeah. It's it's almost the point. Well, yeah. it's, and it's kind of funny because if you've ever watched movies like Fiddler or even, you know, TV shows like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where they feature primarily Jewish characters, a lot of their humor is not only self-deprecating but just treating each other like shit and there are those are their best friends mm-hmm. and those are their best friends so says. it's just one he of says. those <laughs> it's just it it's just what they do and so it's just really funny to see traditional stereotypical jewish humor in a movie this heavy mm-hmm. um it was just refreshing to see it and i i won't get into any more before we do spoilers yeah, no, I totally, I, but I, I, I agree. Yeah, it was refreshingly real conversational style of comedy and, yeah. and like mm-hmm. a lot of dialogue based comedy. Yeah. Actually, a little bit of shtick comedy too at points, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so we got three wrecks all around. Are, are we ready to. Bra bra or bra. Oh my God, what is that? What are you What are you doing? I don't know what that is. Okay, but I pulled it out, and I'd appreciate not being judged for it. I I honestly, when you do I feel that, like I've used that sentence before. I'm imagining like a very like somewhere between a cherub and a a mandrake root from Harry Potter. You know what I like? Hear? Just just like a, a a melding of those two. I imagine a very fat, ugly goblin baby. Just sitting on a stool going, blah, blah. <laughs> no, for me, it's all Blob from Treasure Planet. Oh, that's such a good movie. That was not me, everybody. That was that was dangerously close to, to Meatwad. <laughs> I love me Meatwad. All right, Are we ready so... to jump into narrative here? Oh, man. I think we are. Uh, okay, so we got this movie opening on... A floating newspaper. 
Yeah, basically. Yeah, a, that was a good scene. Too. Yeah, it, it's being narrated by Jacob, um, who you get introduced to, played by Robin Williams, and he is walking through the ghetto, kind of explaining who he is and why he's there, and he gets distracted by a newspaper that's that has blown over the wall of the ghetto, and he begins to chase it. He chases it quite a ways. I mean, this thing is really moving. And this is actually one of the only, like, negative, like, not negative, but, like, quasi-humorous things I have to say about this movie is, like, I love that it was a practical effect, and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, uh, but you could actually see the string a couple times yeah. as, as it was dragging <laughs> yeah, it through the that. street. Yeah, um, it's okay. So he's chasing it through the street, and he sort of inadvertently runs to the edge of the ghetto to the, basically, like the guardhouse, and the guards tell him that... He's out past curfew, which he's not. They're lying. They're, like, just trying to be dicks. They're Nazis. They're Nazis. I mean, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other, you know, fucking, they're assholes. <laughs> not, to, not to understate it, but, you know. It's true. They're Nazis. They're assholes. Sorry, our Nazi listeners. E- sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I did not see them on the list. <laughs> it's, you said that because I- Nazi <laughs> sounds like not See exactly. Oh, shit. oh, you got me good. That's, yeah. a, that's a good joke. But I, <laughs> one of the things that I did love about that scene, though, is that it tells you that. <laughs> I'm sorry, you was fucking. <laughs> made me laugh. God damn it! What, what, what did the scene tell you? Tell me what the scene told you. Okay, <laughs> cut. I'm interested. No, no. Okay, what I did appreciate about that scene, though, is that it did tell the, the viewer that in the ghetto, information is in short supply, and this man will follow a floating newspaper across town just for the chance of seeing something outside of the ghetto. So, like, you you know that there, it's a petri dish. Yeah, totally. No, that's a that's a really good way of putting it. Like, he's desperate for news, and he chased the newspaper aimlessly through the streets without even paying attention, into the guardhouse, basically. And so they sent him inside to basically, like, confess his sin of being out past curfew when he definitely wasn't to the, I don't know... Commandant? Commandant, Nazi high command. Eh, moderate command. The pseudo-warden of the ghetto? Yeah. And he shows up in the guy's office, and the guy's basically, like... He's kind of getting frisky with a lady and doesn't want to deal with this right now, so he basically tells Jacob to fuck off. But before he fucks off... He overhears on the radio that the Russians are at this town. Do we have the name of the town? It starts with a P. Uh, we do not. This, we, we are not. We're not playing. Uh, we're not playing hangman or like a crossword puzzle it's here. Like P R I Z N something. I can't remember. Well, yeah, it's, you, it's in Poland. You're just you're yeah. just throwing consonants at it in your. <laughs> so it, it is. It is this town that's about four hundred kilometers away. Yeah, and and basically, like, the Russians have shown up there, and he realizes that, oh shit, if the Russians are there, they've actually made quite a bit of headway, and the Germans are probably losing. (laughs) The Russians are already in Poland, so he leaves, and they close the gate before he can leave. So he is now on the outside of the ghetto, but still, like, very much in the purview of the German forces, and he is... Like trying to figure out how to get back to his house without being caught out after curfew. And, you know, he's he's running through the this train yard, it's pitch dark, 
and he he's like mumbling to himself. Uh, he's got the, he's got this great quote. He's like, "I may be the only Jew for four hundred kilometers trying to get back into the ghetto," yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he's like behind this tr- train car, and this little girl like taps him on the shoulder and scares the poop out of him. Yeah, this this little girl we had seen in a previous little bit was on one of the trains that was headed to one of the camps and there was uh, like a hole in the floorboard of that train and her parents had kind of pushed her out through that hole you know thrown her a picture of them and told her to stay quiet and run basically so this girl has nothing yeah and this is like you can tell both from the russian advance but also the knowledge of the citizens of the ghetto you can tell that this is very late in the war the information about the nature of the camps has very much percolated into the ghetto. They understand fully what it means to be loaded onto that train. So her parents basically pushed her under a moving train in order to save her from the transport to these camps, and they saved her life undoubtedly. But she's alone in this train yard and bumps into Jacob, and she sort of helps save him a couple times because she's a little bit more adept at avoiding the guards. And he sort of reluctantly brings her back to his house and houses her. With, you know, he's taking a big risk because if she's found in his house, she's not registered. He's he's executed basically. Yeah. So yeah. he he brings her upstairs and he hides her in the attic and through a Narnia closet. Yeah, it really is. It's like a it, it's this really kind of cool attic and there's a wardrobe basically yeah. like pushed up against the wall and he goes through it to get to this like sort of secret room. Yeah, very interesting, very cool. So he takes her in and and again, a little reluctantly. And the next day, he lines up with everybody else to basically go on work duty where they are unloading German trains and supplies. Food mostly. I think it was like um It was concrete. Oh, was it concrete? Yeah. You know, yeah, you're yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. I for some reason this whole time I was thinking it was like bags of wheat. Or, yeah, I, or I some kind was, of food. It was concrete but, going onto the train to continue the build of the camps, I think. Okay. I believe that's what it was. Oh, got it. Okay. That actually makes a lot more sense now because that shit looked really heavy and the bags were smaller than, like, food bags. They, yeah. Okay. So, anyway. So, he's loading slash unloading these bags. That's what they do every day. That's their sort of new job. Which I'm sorry. If you were unloading and loading bags of concrete every day, you would be fucking buff as shit. I'm just saying. Assuming that you got literally anything to eat. Yes. If you could replace that muscle with any protein. (laughs) Any protein, like, yes. So he ends up in this situation inadvertently stumbling across Lee of Schreiber, who is basically doing what saved that little girl's life. He's like busting up train boards so any Jews that might find themselves on those trains in the future the trains that are currently being used for concrete, might be able to slip out. And Jacob really doesn't want Leif Schreiber's character to... Do that. Do that, because he's going to get himself killed, and he's probably going to get other people killed. Oh, yeah. So he's trying to restrain him. He's trying to figure out how to avoid him doing that. And in a sort of desperate move, he tells him about this radio broadcast that he heard, and it changes Schreiber's tune pretty quick. Yeah, you're right. Like, in a desperate move to get him to, to stop being crazy, he just kind of blurts out what he had heard on the radio when he was in the uh, the commandant's office there. 
and Liv Shriver's character just flips out the prospect of there being like news and that there is just some hope like just just even the this tiniest little bit of hope just ignites a fire in him and you, you see him like almost literally like skipping through the streets you know i don't know if it was like the next day or it was later that day he's floating yeah you know like so much so that he, gliding he even proposes to this girl that's caught his eye you know and to do that in that <laughs> environment is like just just crazy i i laugh because that's sort of the scene where like when he parts company with jacob jacob very rightfully says to him something to the effect of don't tell if you tell anybody i'm dead you will be signing my death warrant if you tell a fucking soul that i have this radio but he which he he openly says i don't have but leah schreiber doesn't believe him so in again a desperate ploy to avoid leah schreiber telling everybody he plays along and says, oh, you're right, I do have a radio. Shut the fuck up about it. Don't tell anybody. And back to my laughter, Liev Schreiber, the very first thing that he fucking does is go into this girl's house and propose marriage to which her father, played by Alan Arkin, is like, fuck you, no way, like, we're in desperate times, like, stop thinking about the future, this is, this. no, I'm not giving you my daughter's hand in marriage, to which Liev Schreiber tells her father her mother, her, and the three or four other people that yeah, happen to be like, in the house. There's like, there's yeah. like ten there's people in this house. There's a lot of fucking people in this house. Well, because at that time, everyone's just kind of crowded into like a common living space. I mean, this was not a good, good time to yeah. be in the ghetto. He just announces it. Mm-hmm. To everybody. Everyone stops moving. Because he, he, well, he wasn't talking to everybody. He was kind of just casually talking to the girl's father. And as soon as he says that, everyone in the room just stops. Yeah. Like the the idea that someone would have a radio is just inflammatory. So Jacob the next day is walking to work and everybody is stopping and patting <laughs> Jacob on the back, which you can imagine makes him very uncomfortable. There's, there's people standing outside his door as he walks out and they all say hello, Jacob, in unison. And as he's walking through the streets, everyone's like, good morning, Jacob. Good morning, Mr. Heim. Good morning, Mr. Heim. Hello, Mr. Heim. And he's just going about his day. It's like, okay, yesterday, none of you fucking said anything to me and wouldn't <laughs> look at me in the eye. And now all of a sudden, I'm the Messiah. What happened? Yeah. And, so, and, he, and he pieces it together pretty yeah, quick. He's, he's about... By, by the time he gets to... The, like, loading station to, to go to work. <laughs> He's figured it out. This is one of my favorite scenes, though. So the flappy hat that we were talking about earlier, that is what Misha wears throughout this entire movie. And he's Sounds standing, pretty stylish to he's me. He's standing but. <laughs> in line by the gate. And Jacob makes eye contact with Misha, and by the second his eyes meet he whips off the hat, hangs his head in shame, and just rounds the corner and is hiding behind other people. He's also like six foot six. Former boxer. And a former boxer. Like, and this is a ghetto. You can't hide from anyone. <laughs> He's like bobbing and weaving behind people to so, avoid Jacob. So Jacob is bobbing and weaving through the crowd to get to him. And right as they hit the gate... Jacob, like, throws this dude up against the wall and is like, what did I tell you? I told you not to do one thing, and you did the one thing. I am a dead man. Congratulations, you're looking at a corpse. Yeah, and he's not, he's not joking around. I think he ends the conversation with him with just like, you know, you're a murderer. 
Yeah. That's how serious he is. Yeah. Which is totally appropriate. Yeah. Like, I think I would have said a few more choice words to that, oh, that yeah. motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, it's, it's one of those things too, where it's like, it's painfully obvious that like, Liv Schreiber's character is not malicious. He's just stupid. Yeah. He's just too <laughs> he's stupid dumb. to realize that by telling everybody that this person has a radio, you've killed him. You've yeah. ended a human life. Yeah. So they go to work and he's just getting pestered all day. What's new on the radio? What do people say? What a blah, blah, blah. And he ends up throwing something out basically to just make people shut up. He says a quick little comment and everybody takes it and it's like, it mutates and it grows and it becomes its, its own thing. And almost instantaneously, Jacob becomes like the purveyor of all knowledge uh, in the, of the outside world. And everybody is very interested in what he has to say. So much so that a few scenes later, one of the members of the community at the work site, a train rolls up and he hears voices on the train. He knows it's filled with other people. And he is so convinced by what Jacob has said that he runs to tell the people on the train to give them just a shred of hope in a very desperate move that ultimately leads to him being shot by a guard in a guard tower. And as you can imagine, that has an extremely profound effect on Jacob, who is just like, well, that's the last information I tell anybody because my information just gave somebody enough false hope to go and get themselves fucking killed, which is exactly what my response would be. Like, I I would clam up faster than a very clammed up thing. Yes. Like a clam? Like a clam. Like a clam, yeah. Or an oyster or any bivalve, really. Yeah. (laughs) But it's not all in his head. You know, one of the one of the talking heads in the crowd just like blames him for it. Like this is on you, Jacob. Yeah. You know, just just underlining his, his lays it at his feet. This is because of your bullshit. Well, the guy that that blamed him was his brother. Mm-hmm. The guy that died was this dude's brother. And right after the guy dies, you know, gets shot. He's looking up at Jacob from the ground, tears in his eyes, eye contact, and says, "You did this." And then continues to just wail and starts wailing in what I presume was Yiddish or Hebrew. Um, but it's, it, 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 oh my gosh, it was a hard scene to watch. Yeah, so Jacob is rightfully crushed and reserved about sharing any more yeah. false information. He goes back to the ghetto after his work day. And this gentleman who he has been working with, who is not well, is bugging him for information. And Jacob kind of snaps at him and more or less tells him the truth. I don't have a radio. Everything I said was lies, like you're believing falsehoods. And as you might imagine, suicide rates are pretty high in the ghetto. And this dude commits suicide that night. So Jacob wakes up to more or less another death on his hands. And during, you know, sort of a scene of soliloquy or, you know, inner monologue right after that, Jacob is basically saying like, well, the truth kills people. Falsehoods kill people what the fuck am I supposed to do, you know? And he kind of realizes this line that he has to ride between giving people enough hope to where they don't give up, but not giving them so much hope that they do something stupid. Yeah. Um, So he's basically slow playing his hand. So this, this scene, my mind immediately went to the imitation game. My absolute favorite quote from that movie I feel like I can do a little mini spoiler in Imitation Game because it's a true story and I think everybody knows how that one played out. It's about 
Alan Turing breaking Enigma, Alan Turing and his team, and shortly after they break Enigma, they realize that they can't just, like, feed it to all of the generals and everybody and be like, okay, everybody turn around and, you know, don't get attacked and blah, 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 because the Germans will know that they broke it. So they have to lose enough to where the Germans don't get suspicious, but win enough to win the war. Mm -hmm. And he says, every night we sat down and did our blood-soaked calculus. And that line just fucking haunts me. I love that line. And this movie really, like, brought that forth in me. Like, I that was the immediately where my mind went. Like, that's what he was doing. He's like, how do I... How do I sit on both sides of this fence and not make people kill themselves with hope, but also not make people kill themselves with despair? How do I keep them from committing suicide and prevent an insurrection? Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't want to be in this position. Like he, he just, he, there are several times where he tries to, to run away from this fact, but unfortunately, I mean, I mean, there's a scene where there's a spotlight on him and I was just thinking about that. I mean, that a spotlight is on him. Ever since his friend outed him as this person who supposedly had a radio. And from that point on, every action and every inaction resulted in consequences. And he couldn't run away from it. Yeah. No, he just, he had found himself in a very precarious situation. And he just sort of had to take on this mantle. And luckily, there was another character, a doctor, who it it later gets revealed as a world-famous cardiologist very good doctor he's definitely the smartest person in the ghetto like he is definitely the most accomplished and smartest person and he knows exactly what's happening he's not desperate enough and he is not dull enough to miss that jacob is making this shit up yeah and he refers to it as is jacob's medicine yeah and that comes from a pretty awesome scene where the little girl ends up getting sick and jacob goes to this professor they they refer to him as a professor not as a doctor which i believe is because he he taught medicine like he was he was that good he was a professor at berlin yeah yeah he was very accomplished this dude was this dude could fucking he could bang and he went and treated this little girl as best he could which was basically like he looked in her mouth and said to jacob like she's really sick like that's all i've got i don't have any medicine for you my supplies are exhausted. I think maybe she needs some of your medicine. Meaning, make some shit up, give her some hope, make her feel better. Yeah. To which Jacob does, A, and B, it becomes painfully obvious in that scene that the doctor knows what he's doing and is encouraging him to do it. Actually, largely from like a suicide prevention standpoint. Like, Yeah. Well, yeah, no, they're, they're, he makes the comments that like suicides are way up and then after Jacob goes and, and starts talking... That suicides are are down. Like I think he even says that there haven't been any suicides in like a, a you know X amount of days. Mm-hmm. Um, what I thought was interesting though is the doctor. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he ever like explicitly says that he is aware. More, it's never explicit that the doctor is aware that Jacob is lying. He dances around it by referring to it as as medicine and how like that Jacob is doing something positive for the community by doing this. But I don't think it's ever explicitly said that he knows. But it is. 100% definitely inferred. Yeah, I mean, like, he definitely knows. I think there are a few scenes where it's like, he's not calling it what it is, but, like, they're actually having a conversation about it. Like, there is that one scene shortly after where, like, initially the doctor is like, you need to keep this going to inspire hope. Yeah. And then it very shortly after that becomes, you need to keep this going because we need to fight back at some point. 
And the only way that you fight back is by giving hope. There was one scene that definitely gave it away that he knew that Jacob was lying. When they were on latrine duty and they were cleaning, you know, the buckets out, he had mentioned that, you know, Jacob had told this story back at lunchtime uh, during work hours about these tanks and this, this big band, Benny Goodman, and, you know, just a hell of a yarn, right? Just not possible and everybody ate it up and everybody was all about it and professor kirschbaum was kind of like hmm a big band you say playing benny goodman in poland uh sure okay (laughs) yeah we'll just go along with that and then you know later on when they're cleaning out the latrines he's kind of like so benny goodman huh (laughs) got it all right, um, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. Just maybe be smarter about it. Maybe make something up that's a little more believable. Mm. So, you know, he was trying to make sure that they ate it up, but they weren't eating up the wrong lies. He was, t- I, he was, he was telling him to slow play his hand a little yeah, bit. It, like, don't lose your power by making it unbelievable. You know, slip in some nuance, Yeah, you know. You Every know, lie has a grain of truth, so make sure that it does actually have a grain of truth. I don't think I had caught that. I think you're right. That that's fairly explicit. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe I just didn't catch that. But he, he certainly doesn't like call him out or anything. No. So. no, no, he was supporting him in that. He was just saying, "Hey, you need to be more careful because otherwise they're gonna figure out what I already did." Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. But he he doesn't say it in so many words. But no. yeah, yeah, that that is that's fairly explicit without actually underlining it. So I think like the meat and potatoes of this movie sort of comes after where we're at currently. Basically, it can be summed up as everybody asks him about the radio. He, you know, gives them choice pieces of information to keep them inspired. And it sort of culminates in him taking the doctor's advice and basically like they convene a council to... Mount an insurrection. Yeah, to to basically orchestrate revolution when, when need be. And at that first meeting of the council, the doctor gets taken away in order to treat the commanding Nazi officer, to which he refuses and then fucking righteously kills himself right in the middle of it. He's just like, like, I, yeah, I'm the only person in the, like, the fucking thousand mile radius that can treat you. I'm going to fucking kill myself. Like, what a badass move. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I know I know killing yourself doesn't sound like a badass move, but in that situation, oh, it definitely was. it's definitely the coolest thing you could well, do. He killed himself with some cyanide that his wife had given him. So when the when the SS officers showed up to take him away, she kind of packed his bag for him, and she she put these pills into his bag, oh, and cool. you know he saw that she had done that, and like it was almost like her giving him permission to to do that oh totally no it totally was the line that she said when she handed him the medicine was so great because they were being watched by the ss and she says these are the pills for your heart or for your heartburn heartburn and i i pray that you won't need them and he turns to her and he says i'm afraid that i most certainly will and then kisses her on the forehead and leaves and as soon as he leaves the door, she sits down in the middle of an empty room, just acknowledging the fact that her husband is dead now. Yeah. And it was just so brutal. It was it was just a shocking truth of, you know, some of the events that happened. Yeah, and then everybody else walks out of the closet that they've been they were hiding in. Yeah. And I, I remember I like I almimost said this during the movie. I was like, I, I don't I don't even know what I would do. Nope. 
Like, do you stay with her? I would imagine she probably wants to be alone. Should she be alone at that moment? Like, well, they don't know. Wh- that was an intimate moment between her and her husband. Yeah, they have well, no, no idea but, that he but, just walked off to his death. But he did. I mean, I he went with the officers. Yeah, and he did. He said something to them to the effect of like, they were like, "Don't go, don't go, don't go with them" or something like that. Like, you won't come back. And he's he basically says like, "I know." Yeah. And so they knew what was going on, yeah. and they just walk out, and his wife's like sitting in the middle of the room, and you're just like. What, do you approach her? Do you just stand there and wait for her to say something? Do you leave? Do you? I do not know what I would do in that situation. I would probably just stand there like a fucking dope. You know what's so heavy about this movie is like th- this kind of shit really happened. Totally. You know? Like this. Totally. The I I was really impressed with the way that they weaved the humor into this. And this is going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but I I really wanted to get this out is. You know, we, we go from, like, joking around and, you know, laughing at their banter back and forth, at just the various characters, and we go from, from this these moments of levity to these just raw, like... Gut-wrenching scenes. Gut-wrenching scenes where this wife is grappling with the fact that she just gave her husband permission to kill himself, or, you know... Even in the beginning where he's chasing around that newspaper and it's it's all fun and games or I mean, it's not fun and games, but there's some lighthearted music playing. Yeah. And well, he news- also told a joke while he was chasing the newspaper. Yeah. Like- it's, it's like a quasi like Chaplin type. Like, yeah. Like bumbling through the streets chasing a newspaper. Kind right. Of yeah. Thing. And the newspaper runs past a group of men that have that are that have been that are hanging in a square. You know, it's that contrast that, like, you don't need to, like, have this, like, visceral brutality in your violence. You can have this, like, contrast between levity and, like, social, like, just normalcy and then just the raw, like, this is this is what's really going on. And so, like, it's just so powerful. You know, I, I'm i sorry, it's a little bit of a No, tangent, no, no, but I but, think like, that's, like, that's, the, that's the entire message of this movie is that, like, Humor is what makes us human, and that's the one thing that, like, people won't take from us. Like, even in the darkest, most, like, horrific sequences of of human history, people manage to pull out some fucking joy. And I'm going to get in my own tangent here. Um, I I, I looked for this. I couldn't find what the quote actually was. And honestly, I'm not... I can't guarantee that my attribution is correct i want to say it was neil gaiman but i'm not sure if it was him it was some let's say author of fiction whose aunt was in the camps and the author was sort of struggling with the idea of their chosen profession like do i make a difference am i i'm just i'm writing like fantasy i'm writing silly books for people to just distract themselves with did i waste my life kind of thing and his aunt I don't know if she said this in response to this or if she said this and he sort of put the pieces together, but basically told stories about how they would do literally anything to get a little bit of entertainment. They would steal snippets of pages. They would they would rip pages out of books when they would be in like Nazis' homes and then and then smuggle them back to the ghetto. Anything they could do, they would smuggle it back. They'd be hiding books and and they would read to each other uh, while they worked or at night or something like that. And like these people were risking death, death and torture for a few fucking pages of a book scraps that just came out of the middle of a book and this author uh, i'm gonna say neil gaiman came to the conclusion he's like that's when i knew 
what I did mattered. When people are willing to die for fantasy, for entertainment, for storytelling, I realized how fundamental it was to being human and how just like the other things that make us living, breathing things, people are wholly unwilling to give that up and they will die for it. You will take my stories in the same way that you will take my breath or my water or my food. I'm going to fight for it. I will lie, cheat, steal, and kill in order to get it because this is something that I need to be me. I need to be human. And I wish I could find the quote, but it was such a powerful way to illustrate the point that hope, distraction, fantasy, all of these things are something that truly is a base human operation. And this movie got at that. This movie, this is what, that is, that is what this movie was driving at. It was yeah. trying to capture the fact that we need that escape. We it? do. And we need, and we need hope. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it can't be silly hope. It needs to be, to be rooted in realism. But like the second your hope dies, like you die. And that's a really heavy message, but it's also like an inspiring message. I don't know. I always find validation and I guess I find hope in things that seem universal across all people, mm-hmm. you know? Things that make us, us. And, you know, no matter where you travel to on the globe or which capitalist you speak to, every person in every corner of the globe needs certain things. And it's kind of cool that storytelling is one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after this, we've got kind of a quick sequence of events. The Nazis, it gets revealed in that scene, know that there is a radio out there or they think they know there's a radio out there. And they start raiding the ghetto. They're going to liquidate the ghetto and and put everybody on trains to camps. Uh, So they start basically tearing the ghetto apart. Because they're looking for a radio. I think that's so interesting, too, that, like, they're willing to, like, tear apart a a small town to find a radio. And that radio just represents hope. That's how serious they were about squashing them at such a base level. Yeah, totally. totally. they They were so determined to remove their humanity from them. And they were so close. Mm-hmm. They were so close to doing it. And then this radio pops out of nowhere and everyone gets revived and everyone is revitalized by this. And everyone is fighting now. They have stopped killing themselves. And they have started working harder and banding together and socializing. And that is what Germany, specifically the Nazis, was so fucking afraid of was fighting human beings well they knew the they pow- weren't afraid anymore. yeah they knew the power of it i mean like they they knew what a radio could mean i mean look i mean look at what they did to their own citizens mm-hmm. you know like the the fear and the the mistrust and the misinformation and the propaganda that they fed their own citizens it's because they understood fully what it meant to have an informed populace and what havoc that could wreak. I mean, it's the it's the same thing that we see played out in fiction in the works of, like, Huxley Orwell. and Orwell. And, you know, like, these people understand that there's this fundamental sort of human spirit, and in order to quash it, you basically need massive amounts of misinformation, and you need mistrust between people and the tired populace can't fight back yeah and the nazis realized obviously that if a radio was out there that posed a significant threat because it would destabilize the beaten down population that that they have sort of under their boot cut off their information control their food supply and work them to death 
and that way they can't rise up and fight back. Scary. It's a scary effective tactic. And this shit is real, too. Yeah, that's that's like the most horrible part is you're constantly coming back to like Dude, the... What I think is oh the most God, horrible so part. Real. What I think is the, the, the most horrible part, though, isn't that it's real. It's that this wasn't that long ago. No. No. This, this was 60 years ago. This was not that long ago. Yeah, it's fucked up. That's, are... that's why, like, I, I never... I, like, get so fucking tired of the arguments of, like, we've changed, we've evolved. It's like... No, we haven't. People, like, will do this to other people. That's the importance of making sure that people we have... People are doing this to other people. Yeah, people are doing this to other people. That's the importance of having things like policies and making sure, like, like people are protected from this kind of bullshit because it's because gonna happen again well, and we need to make sure that we can stop it before it does. Well, you know? there's this, like, weird misconception that, like, the modern man is not capable of this brutality no right. it, it was the modern man that created this mm -hmm. it was through rational thought that this came to be warped rational thought but people who were very intelligent were very like they believed that they were doing the right thing like it's just it's terrifying that like we can innocently talk ourselves into genocide also they say you know like fascism doesn't doesn't show up at your door like you know, knocking all brutally, fascism shows up with a smile and it promises to restore your honor and it promises to protect you from the outside world and it promises you to give your job back and, you know, do all of these things. That's how you manipulate people into committing the worst atrocities imaginable. That's how fascism grows. It grows out of fear and it grows as this notion of a shining bright future and you don't realize how dark that future really is until you're there or at least until you're on the car fully packed up and and on the highway to to the future well yeah because no one ever this is such a tangent from the movie here but but this is like the kind of discussion that i feel like this movie wants to inspire right yeah. mm -hmm. everyone believes that they are the good guy yeah hitler believed he was the good guy you know no one no one sits there and believes that they are the antagonist of the story no they're doing what they're doing because they feel they have justification and they feel that they are right and they have a family and they have kids and they love people everyone has that perspective or they have lost that and so they're fighting for their brother or like they're it's just so scary because this is real you know? yeah totally but anyway this is how this is how this shit happens back to jacob the liar here yeah so they're tearing the ghetto apart and jacob basically gives himself up and he says it's my radio blah 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 and um i think we can sort of like put a bow on the 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 movie pretty quick by saying he gets beaten up for a while and then he finally quote gives up his radio when he points to the radio in the officer's office in the commandant's office yeah and the officer realizes like what that means it means that jacob heard that shit on his radio on his radio and to let a jew listen to radio is a pretty serious offense so they're actually like there's this really interesting scene at the end where they're like basically sitting down across from a desk and jacob is eating his food i loved that scene it's like so much you just like like you just imagine like two very very disproportionate bars in a bar graph that show how much power the commandant has, which is very the very high bar, and how much power Jacob has, which is like virtually nothing, indistinguishable from null. 
And in this scene, almost like instantaneously, these bars just go whoop, and they're they're almost even with each other. They're sitting across the desk, almost as equals, and because they basically have each other by the balls. Mm-hmm. The um, commandant can't go to his superiors and say, "Well, the radio doesn't exist. It was all made up." Ha 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 ha! So funny, and <laughs> and he also doesn't know who else knows that. Jacob heard that radio in his office. So exactly. if, the, if, the, if other Jews start speaking up about this, like right. shit could go south for so, this commandant quick. So either he gets in trouble for letting a Jew hear his radio, or he gets in trouble for the Jew never had a radio in the first place. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then Jacob is on the other end of this, where the commandant is like, look, I can make you tell all of your people that your radio never existed and I can make sure that you live to see it. So it's just, you know, this Catch-22. Meanwhile, Jacob is literally sitting there eating the German's dinner, which is like roast chicken and potatoes and, like, asparagus and stuff. Looked delicious, by the way. It really did. But I thought about it. We didn't see Jacob eating meat in the entire movie. And suddenly, he's sitting across from the commandant eating roast chicken off the bone mm-hmm. it was just it was so poignant to me i loved that because one thing we didn't cover earlier in the movie there was a dead horse in oh, the in the man. street and the the jews that were in the ghetto were carving out sections of the horse and handing them out to each other because it was probably the first meat that they've gotten in who knows how long it was just a split second scene like it was just panning over the scenery and like if you had you you could have easily missed it if you were blinking but yeah no just seeing them dig into that beast marginally uh less appetizing than the roast chicken and mm-hmm. asparagus well, you know so the the idea that they come up with is he'll go before the Jews and be like, I made it all up, there's no radio, blah, blah, blah. So he gets dragged up there in front of this group, which is basically all the Jews in the ghetto that have been rounded up, and he ends up basically not confessing. He just says, he doesn't say anything. No, he just starts laughing, and they shoot him, which is a very... Emotional scene. Yeah, it's an emotional scene. It's also like... I don't know, a little inspirational and maybe like, I don't want to say happy, but like... He was a martyr. He was a martyr. Yeah, he was a martyr and he he knew what effect that he had. And he was totally comfortable going to the grave having had that effect. And that's fucking baller. His mission was accomplished. Yeah, basically. Well, like, and like, I think what's funny is like, it really wasn't even his mission. It was like... It was a total accident. Something he fell into. Yeah, he's basically just like, uh, yeah, I did not intend any of this to happen, but it happened, and that's pretty fucking cool. And I'm cool, like, I'm cool going out this way. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, what a badass to choose your fate that way. Oh, yeah. I I love it. But yeah, so he he ends up dying, and they load everybody on trains. And the end is. Should we talk about the end? Like, this, this is a very unusual scene. So, basically, what happens is... I think the, they, were, they were offering up multiple scenarios. Yeah. The way it was presented. Yeah, so, like, Jacob starts in with, like, a narration, and he's, you know, as if he's already dead. Like, this is retrospective. He's, he's talking all in the past tense. And he says, that's how I died. They were loaded on trains, and they were sent to camps, and all of them died, so it made no difference. Or... This other thing may have happened, and the Russians actopped the train, 
and saved everybody halfway to the camp. And then the little girl ends up seeing... Uh, it was an accordion and a harmonica player that were marching along with the tank. And then, you know, as as they're playing, it sort of like superimposes this big band scene where there's an upright bass and a couple of trombones and a, three and a trumpet singers. and three, three lady singers that are singing Benny Goodman, which was mentioned earlier on in the movie. And so she's just imagining this big band scene that she heard about on the radio. And she's watching the Russians come and rescue them. See, I feel like that, I mean, first of all, very complicated scene. Because you don't know sort of which path to go down. You know, you took it as like imagining my brain went to a slightly darker place and got a little worried that like it was supposed to be reminiscent of like something she's she's experiencing after, you know, like. Because they were all like, they were all like dressed in white and, and, you know, they're all like. It's just it, it was a very like Titanic type ending mm-hmm. where like it felt like, you know, at the end of Titanic when everybody's like applauding her after she died and she's like basically like being welcomed into the yeah. you know, yeah. it had that vibe. And so I get worried that that's the message they were trying to send. But at the same time, the scene before that was like, nope, this this also happened, but the scene before that was like, nope, it didn't. And like I, I get I get it. Like how do you Jacob the liar? Like I get it. Like that's I, I think it's a really cool he saved everybody by not telling the truth, so you can't really get an answer. Yeah, well, in the, at the end, he's saving the audience from being distraught about the hopelessness of a situation where everybody may have been actually sent off to camps and, and not survived, which, you know, whether it happened in this scenario or not is irrelevant. It happened a lot to a lot of people in real life. Yeah, I think yeah. you'd be doing and, a disservice to history if you gave it a happy ending. Right, exactly, and I think I think that was like kind of the it was a brilliant ending for that reason. It's like they basically the 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 writers, the directors, the the people who created the film rode the same line that Jacob had to ride. You know, he's like, I can't pretend you're not in the fucking ghetto because you're in the fucking ghetto and bad things are happening. But I also I can pretend a little, mm-hmm. and I can pretend like maybe some good things did happen, and they may have. You know, like one thing that we didn't mention was when he was in the commandant's office, basically turning himself in, getting beaten up. First of all, they were f- straight up fucking evacuating. Yeah. Like, everything was getting torn off the walls. They were they were rushing it out. And then he sees a map in the office where basically their position is surrounded by Soviet forces. Like, he can see the, the line of Soviet forces all around them. So what he's saying is plausible. Yeah. It's a really cool scene, but also, like, you know, you're sort of sitting there going, like, uh, what? Yeah. What? It's very confusing. You're not you're not expecting it. I wasn't expecting it. I can't speak for you, chuckleheads. Yeah, no, it, it was it was powerful. It was I, I appreciated the way they had ended it there. So I think we've talked a lot about some of the things that we liked. Is there anything else that, uh, that we liked that we haven't talked about? The intangibles was just, I, I've... I've gushed about it several times, but I'll just I'll just throw it out there again. The contrast between the gravity of the situation that they found themselves in and the levity, it was so good. Those valleys were so deep because we came from such a fun place and just the way that they were interacting. And it didn't cheapen it either. 
which was just so so wonderful it felt a little and i don't mean to like draw like a weird or false comparison but like it felt a little like scrubs to me in that sense if if any of the listeners are familiar with this show scrubs like I find Scrubs to be like an absolutely incredible show because it takes you in a single episode from like laughing your ass off like shtick style comedy to being on the verge of tears because some real shit is going down. And there are some episodes that are full pain from start to finish and then there are some that you know they're just funny yeah and it's so funny because like a lot of medical professionals that i know you ask them like what medical show is the closest to reality and a lot of them say scrubs like a lot of them say scrubs because they're like you know it's not it's not a medical con like it's not all comedy but it's also not all like gloom and doom in the way like Grey's Anatomy and ER just like all fucking serious all the time it's like all sex all the time you've got colleagues and you've you've like this is what you do for a living like you can't live in that world you can't live in darkness like all the time you need to joke about things and make light of a bad situation and and crack some jokes there's a there's a great quote by Dr. Cox in Scrubs where he's like he made a joke that Turk thought was inappropriate and he sort of was trying to explain it and at the end of the episode he's saying like this surgeon i think it was dr wen was in there telling a family that their family member died on the operating table and he's like dr wen is in there he's telling them that their brother whatever died and then he's gonna go back to work do you think anybody else in that room is going back to work that day that's why we make jokes it's not because we don't care it's not because we're callous it's so we can get through the day it's like if you it's like an if you don't laugh you cry kind of thing. Yeah. And this movie really sort of sort of exemplified that. And I thought that was that was fucking jamming. Yeah. The score I thought was really good. It was more present. I mean, they, they didn't really have like a soundtrack to it. There weren't there weren't too many songs. That, well, there really weren't any songs that anyone would really recognize. Um, but there was there was clearly a score that I felt jumped out a little bit. I mean, it didn't blow me away or anything, but it was it was very present and it was very important. Was there anything that we didn't like? I don't have anything. I don't think there's a single thing about this movie that I didn't enjoy. Like, that sounds weird about a movie that takes place in occupied Nazi Germany. And there were several people in this movie that were clearly, like, shot execution style and gunned down. But we didn't see any of the gore. We didn't see any of the violence. I, I don't know. I feel like everything in this movie was 100% intentional. And I can respect it and appreciate it and understand what it was for, you know? Like, yes, there were some parts that were a little discomforting, but they were supposed to be. And honestly, I think I was less uncomfortable in this movie than I was last week in Fool's Rush In. <laughs> I, okay. You know... I, I, I think I, I understand what you're saying, but it is a weird it's weird, it's a weird it's a comment weird to make. It's weird thing to say because I'm comparing <laughs> like murder to racism, but like it's I don't know. I I feel like everything But that's is, like that was meant to be cringy. Yeah. Whereas this is like It's meant to make this, you hurt. This one is like horrific. Yeah. Like this one is is brutal. And I don't know, I just I feel like in this one we got to see a side of the Jewish community that really hasn't been exposed before. You know, this story of Jacob the liar could all be bullshit because, let's face it, he was a liar. But it is an amazing story, and I know that it's based on, you know, true accounts. Yeah, we also, we forgot to mention in the beginning that this is based on a book. This is actually based on a movie from 1974, which is based on a book. 
so we definitely should have mentioned that we forgot. Yeah. We forgot. Unspoilers. Um, unspoilers. Unspoilers. Whoop, whoop, whoop. That's a thing. That's a, that's a thing. We just did it. Um, that happened. Yeah. Do, do we want to jump into quotes? Are we, are we Laura Dern with the uh, narrative? I think we can, we can quote it up. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, my quote, I mean, I, I got, I've got two of them. There is several scenes in this movie where Jacob is monologuing to himself. And there's a bit where like we, this is a side note where it almost seems like he's talking to his wife when he's talking to himself. Cause there's some scenes where he's actually talking to a photograph of his wife, but either way, after he realizes that when he tells the truth, people die. And when he tells a lie, people die. He's trying to grapple with what that really means. And he makes the comment, you know, I, I have to feed them something, but what? And that like encapsulated his character and his position in this entire movie is he was stuck in the spotlight that he didn't want to be in. And if he stayed in the spotlight, people would die. And if he stepped out of it, people would die. So he had to try to do the impossible. That was that was my quote. There was also another one that um, a little bit more lighthearted. But uh, Jacob, do you need a partner? That was just said by one of the talking heads in the community after the rumor came out that he had this supposed radio and he was the talk of the town and everybody wanted I, I think I think that came from every talking head in that group as he was lining up for work duty yeah, to, yeah. oh do you need a partner you need a partner Jacob Jacob yeah <laughs> choose me <laughs> so that, that's what I had uh, what, what kind of quotes do you have Colin I'm actually going to kick this to Jackson because I feel like we should end on my quotes okay <laughs> whoa no no right. not, not that they're particularly good but like <laughs> having knowledge of what these quotes contain i would rather end on a high note than a low note. <laughs> that's fair i'll give you that um so one of my quotes uh came from misha which was one of my favorite characters that's leave schreiber's character this was when he had gone to the house that his girlfriend slash beloved was in and he, you know, was going to spill the beans about the radio. And it's just really funny because he was trying to convince the guy. He's like, look, I understand you don't think we have a future, but we do. And he's like, prove it, basically. And he says, the glorious Red Army is there tonight. And Mr. Frankfurter, without missing a beat, says, oh, and Stalin called you to tell you this personally, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I actually forgot that that he had some that that were a little bit more lighthearted. Oh my god, <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was and, and keep, keep in mind, for framing of this scene, this was delivered by Alan Fucking Arkin. <laughs> so like, you can imagine just like the satire just dripping off of his fucking words it's as he so says it. Like amazing. he's so or the sarcasm rather. Oh. He's so cutting when he says things in a good way. Um, my other quote is a little less cute. This one comes from Professor Kirschbaum as he's emptying buckets of Nazi shit into a container for them to haul off on a train. They're on latrine duty, and he's talking to Jacob. And, you know, he's talking to him about the lies that he's telling, the yarns that he's spinning, and the danger that it presents if he presents a lie that's not believable. So towards the end of this conversation, they've talked about, okay, well, make it believable, make it understandable, and make it hopeful. And that's when he says, let's only hope that your lies were true. Which, oh my God, that hurts so bad because that's when he explicitly says, he's like, yeah, you, you've been lying through your teeth. We all know it, but 
let's just pray to God that everything you said comes true, because if it doesn't, these people will never recover from it, because you gave them hope that was expertly dashed. And all of the lies that he told came true on screen, but we don't actually have a first-hand account of whether or not they came true. Okay, so I'm, like, debating on whether or not I want to, like, go on this aside, but when you were saying, like, make the lie, you know, believable, blah, 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 there were some pretty horrific quotes that came out of the Nuremberg trials, but one of them, and to be honest, I cannot, I it was probably Goebbels that said it. Anyway, it was somebody involved in Nazi propaganda, and they were basically being questioned on, like, how did you manipulate an entire population into doing these horrible things? And the response, it's actually a little unnerving nowadays hearing it in the age of fake news, etc., etc., but it was something to the effect of make the lie simple, believable, understandable, and repeat it until they believe it. And, like, wow. that was, like, the most, like, just that's one of the most haunting things that basically, like, it doesn't matter what the truth is if you can, if you can just make up a simple lie. And if, say it if enough If you say it enough, people will believe it. It becomes fact. You will conjure it into, into existence. And, like... I bring that up only in that, like, it's sort of an interesting contrast that it didn't take a whole lot of convincing, but this is sort of an interesting way that that particular mechanism of human interaction and, and um, human belief can work to, like, inspire and relieve pain in, in sort of like, you know, again, not to force the metaphor, but like a... In the way Jacob in, did. In, yeah, and like, a, like as a medication, like the doctor was saying, you know? Um, but... It can also be it's, used to destroy. Yeah, like like there's a certain irony in like the the thing in this movie that was inspiring hope and keeping people alive and God. pushing forward was also the exact prob- same probably, tactic. Yeah, probably preying on the same mechanism that allowed this bullshit to happen in the first place, which is like scary and interesting. And I don't know. I'm not going to tease apart what it what it means if it means anything. If I'm even correct in the connection that i'm making here but it's also like you got to admit it's it's a little interesting but it's interesting because you know the the statement from the nuremberg trials wouldn't be true if they hadn't removed information from the equation so if you remove the pipeline of information the radio the books the you know anything that would inform that populace you can make up any lie you want and they'll have to believe it because it's the only information see i don't know if that's true though I feel like to, I feel like what's going on right now today is a good example of how like you know like I, if you I, say it enough times like I, it'll be true. Yeah, yeah, like I saw a meme recently and like you know not to not to quote memes but it like fucking hit home was like um yeah, remember uh, back in in 1994 when we before the internet when we thought that human problems were caused by lack of information? Yeah, it wasn't that. <laughs> like like you know we're we're living in the age of information where anybody could given given enough like critical thought and motivation check on these things but instead we've got you know well yeah we should <laughs> we should probably say that for a whole other podcast because that <laughs> is a deep hole yeah that's yeah. that's that's a that's a puddle and a half but um an interesting yeah comparison i think very uh yeah so uh my two quotes were a little bit more lighthearted. the first one is from my main man alan arkin when he's like 
he's basically trying to be convinced by some of his close uh, confidants that Jacob is actually like being truthful and he's actually feeding them genuine information. And like, they're basically trying to paint Jacob as a prophet. And he's like looking around at the, the ghetto and he's like, well, if this is what we get from Isaiah, I can't wait to see what we get from the pancake vendor. Yeah. Uh, we should I should have probably mentioned before that that Jacob was a, a latka um, maker. <laughs> he was a latka baker. Which, yeah. like, we didn't talk about. Like, latkas are fucking delicious. They are. They're so Can we good? just, like, talk about how latkas are probably the greatest uh, food ever? Yeah, if you guys want to talk about that, that's fine. I've never had one. What? We're, we're, gonna, we're, we're popping we're gonna, Mark's cherry next week on the latkas. We're popping Mark's latka. Whoa! <laughs> All right, we're bringing latkes to the podcast. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna pop Mark's latka and and he's gonna go. <laughs> yeah, well, I, if it gets a little we too much more than that, I may need to sure. tap an Uber to get yeah. out of here. Okay, so the the last one that I have is an example of a malafor, which is a intentional combination of idioms to make a different idiom that either doesn't make sense or changes uh, the meaning of the changes the meaning or or sounds sort of like silly so like to give you an example my father's favorite of all time is does the pope shit in the woods um which is a delightful combination of does a bear shit in the woods and And does the pope catholic yeah or does the pope wear a funny hat right yeah and any one of the the pope catholic ones (laughs) there's a lot of them (laughs) so does the bear shit in the woods. So as Jacob is walking this this little girl into the attic for the first time, which is where he's hiding her, I, I believe she asks something to the, like the effect of like, will there be enough food rations or what's going to, you know, something like, is this going to, is this going to pose a problem? And he says, I'll burn that bridge when I get to it, which is amazing, <laughs> which is, you know, might have to use that myself. Yeah. All right, are we uh, are we Laura Dern with quotes? Are we ready to rate? I believe we Laura Dern. Let's uh, rate this bees natch. Uh, so I'm gonna throw a pretty high rating on this one. I'm going eight point one pancakes. Whoa, potato pancakes or just regular? Um, potato. Potato. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> like full like Billy D Williams on it there. There was a full. I wanted to make sure I gave you the right answer. Sure, you know, sure. and I was I, get that. I was thinking ego, meh, biscuit, meh, potato, potato. I have mixed feelings about this movie because I really, really, really loved it. But the other side of it is, it is not a movie for everyone, and I, I don't know if I would make like I don't know if I would recommend it to every single person. But I'm gonna give it an eight point nine one. Wow, free. Barbershop shaves. Mm. Nice. Yeah, there's this long-running joke between Jacob and his friend that uh, he gets free haircuts as long as his friend's getting free pancakes. But he hasn't been able to make pancakes in like the last like was it, like, four years. Four years because of like the <laughs> occupation. But Jacob keeps showing up getting his free haircuts. <laughs> I believe the exact quote was. I can't make pancakes because the Germans won't let me have the flour. And the barber says, that doesn't stop your beard from growing. To which Jacob says, that isn't my fault. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good. What do you got, Colin? All right. I am going to give this movie an 8.0 German bathrooms. Oh, that's a good one. 
Mm-hmm. That comes from the scene where Jacob is, again, sort of like so desperate for information, he runs into the bathroom that is for Germans only and ends up like stealing some reading material uh, in the form of a newspaper to get some information. So it's It's reading material, but it's their toilet paper. It's yeah. literally cut up into sizes of toilet paper. So he's reading he's reading the tea leaves of TP. All right, are, are we uh, are we all Lord Ern with this? We're Ern. All right. Um, <laughs> well, that is all for the Elkrep review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews, please email us at three. That is the number three men and a basement at gmail.com. Especially if your name is Alan Arkin, or especially if you are a Mapitalist specialist, we would really like to hear from you. We will put you in touch with our marketing specialist and. That's me. That's him. And we're going to get some some magic brewing. You can also find us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin McLeod. Marco. Action Jackson. All right. We'll see you in cyberspace. Inside Habits, Nathan.